Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Network Automation Nerds Podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and a whole lot of technology topics. I'm your host, Eric Cho. Today on the show, we'll be talking to my friend, Rick Donato, founder of Packet Coders. Packet Coders is a place where people could learn network automation through code, labs, and community. As you can tell, network automation is in Rick's blood. So we both share a passion for network automation, except he does it a lot cooler. Today, I'd like to talk to Rick about his personal journey, network automation technologies, founding of Packet Coders, and everything in between. So let's dive right in. Hello, Rick. Welcome to the show. Hey there. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, Rick, before we talk about, uh, you know, packet coders, which is what I'm really interested in, I've seen. Uh, so I've been following your work for a while and I've seen how, you know, packet coders have grown. But before we dive into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into technology and network automation? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I've been working in, in the IT industry for quite a few years. Um, started off doing a bit of window support, but kind of had a love for, for networking and right. um and, and really like i moved into a networking role and some some folks might already know this story but i landed um kind of landed my first kind of pure um kind of support networking role and it was just kind of on the phones it was all good and then i got called into the into the office and my boss said hey look your phone stats are terrible uh, you're not <laughs> crunching as many tickets as you should be. You know, at, at that time, the job was like kind of checking like thousands of switch ports, right? Someone would phone right. and say, my web server's not working. Right. And you're like, oh, there might be a half duplex problem. It's, it's somewhere in the data center. <laughs> so, <laughs> or framing um, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I thought, hang on, I'll, it's a good chance. I've been wanting to learn. I've been dabbling around with, you know, Python script, um, sorry, right. shell scripts. So right. I thought it was a good chance to kind of get into Python. So every, every morning I thought I'd, I'd try to build this, this this tool. And so I spent six months every morning, I kind of built this tool. And I finally built this tool, which would go out and SNMP thousands of ports and just tell you the, the issues. And and it done great. Oh, wow. uh, you know, it worked. My phone stats improved. My boss was happy. Then they rolled it out to the rest of the company. And it was, it was, it was really good. And you know, the, the mantra was like every every morning or every just kind of pick away at it in small bits because before you know it, two, three years has gone gone down the road and you know you've you've learned a good amount. So that's how I kind of got into network network automation. So that was with a shell script. So you you had a shell script that it wasn't even Python, it was a shell script that goes out and query the devices uh and get the get the stats. So that was a Python. So that was like the first oh, ever Python. Python tool that I wrote. The, the code was absolutely terrible um <laughs> but yeah so it just went out and the, but it's, it's cool right when you're when you're starting out it's all good yeah. and the thing was is that yeah it just it just went out and it just it got a lot of information back which is the thing with networking right we've got a whole load yeah. of information it's really kind of how we display it and right. it displayed it in a in a table-based view and it highlighted those issues it highlighted duplex issues uh vlan you know mismatches and we could kind of pinpoint issues really really quickly mm-hmm. and uh yeah it worked it worked well so um and then kind of from there i, I got the buzz buzz of network yeah. automation 
So that's that's kind of interesting, right? Because I think a lot of one of the most common questions that you know I get asked and I hear people asking all the time in various platforms was, "How do you get started in technology? How do you get started in your first IT role?" Right. So, um, so we we both did started out in a support role. So that was like a tier one support. I remember for me, I was in in college. And what I had to do was get up at, you know, 530 in the morning. I'll be the first guy who, you know, back then there was no 24-7 support. The, the earliest time was like 6 a.m. So I have to get up, drive my way in, and then open up the door, you know, turn on the light, make coffee, and then start answering phone calls. So I think that's, that. from what you said, that was how you get started. So that was a very valid way of breaking in, um, you know, just do a support role, which is something that, you know, probably either the interns or the junior years get started on, but that's a very, um, that's a very valid role. So what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think you've got a good point. I think that the whole, it all comes down to kind of having something to, to, to work against. To land. Right? Yeah. So, so sometimes when you're in a role, it's quite easy because you've, you're, you're kind of given those, those challenges, those things you want to automate against. But I think it's really right. good to kind of push yourself, especially right. when you're learning new technologies. So, you know, for example, just giving yourself like mini projects. So like, you know, a few years ago, I wanted to learn Django and I was always forgetting birthdays, right? I was always forgetting my mother-in-law's birthday. So I thought it's a great opportunity to kind of build a, a, <laughs> a, a good reminder tool, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and it helped me learn Django. And, you know, and obviously as you go through that, there's going to be things that don't work. It might break or whatever. And, and you kind of just, and just kind of taking that, that mentality of just kind of giving yourself these small projects to kind of keep learning, uh, I, th- I think it's really important. That's a good point. So in a support role or in any kind of role in IT, you always encounter people's problem, right? And your own problem as well, like you mentioned. So you're, you know, you, you started out and I did the same thing too. You know, when I was, um, I actually went back to a support role as well. So a number of years later, I started working for Juniper and in a JTAC role. So back again, I was at, I was at support role, except this time it wasn't like entry level. It was tier three. So then I see, start seeing people's problem as well. And that was kind of my first encounter on large scale, uh, networks, but you know, how automation could help that large scale network to manage and so on. So as you said, you were looking for problems and you were, uh, trying to solve your own problem. And at the same time, you leverage those opportunities to learn new technology like Django. And uh, and I hope your mother-in-law is happy that she's her birthday has always been remembered now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mega happy. Yeah, yeah. And, and my wife is as well. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. You know, kill two birds uh, with, yeah. And, um, okay, cool. So you, um, so let's go back to, to what you were saying before. So you were in the support role and... Um, you know, the voice was the voice. I guess you were using, you know, voice over IP. So the uh, the voice quality was horrible and you trace it back to kind of networking issue. And so you wrote this Python script that goes out and uh, detect those problems, fix them. So your medium, you know, quality score goes goes back to the normal range and so on. Um, but that that wasn't the whole story. Right. So once you started, get the get the bug, there's still be a time between you know, getting getting bunch of SNMP stat to founding packet coders. So what happened in between? Yeah, so uh, so after working there, kind of um, enjoyed that. That was all good. 
And then, you know, I'd, I'd been blogging. So <clears throat> I've been blogging for a couple of years at that point. Started right. out blogging when I was doing my CCNA. Mm-hmm. And as times went on, and I was doing the same thing with with blogging, right, as I was with the, the kind of the projects that I spoke to you about. I kept giving myself these questions to, right. to answer and then kind of kept right. blogging about them. And it just kind of evolved and evolved. And these these blogs got longer and longer and they kind of started <laughs> turning into guides and, and it was great. It, it was helping folks. Um, while I was working at the time, it was helping a lot of them to kind of help with their jobs. And, it, you know, it was just, it was all good. I was learning, other people was learning. And so, yeah, it kind of just evolved all, you know, with the blogging, the learning, the automation, um, up until a point where I, done some more automation in that company and it kind of got bigger and bigger and bigger and done, you know, bigger and bigger projects. Right. And, uh, done, yeah, more and more things and automated more things. And that was all good. And then thought, right, I'm took a couple of years, um, out and, and worked in the NFV and SDN space. Mm-hmm. Um, now I personally with the, the SDN and NFV space, I was hoping it was going to be all open source. It was going to be all, I was hoping that it was going to be the way that the network automation ecosystem is now. Um, right. You know, I, we had the open daylight and stuff and, but it, yep. it, things didn't really work out like that. You had all the vendors and a lot of the vendors were doing, you know, they had their own, their own tools, you know, you had NSX, you had Contrail and stuff. And so right. the open, the open source thing was okay, but it, it didn't really flourish the way I, I thought it was, you know, mm-hmm. the ONOS and the open daylight and stuff. So, yeah. so at that point, I thought, you know, my, my heart, and there was a lot of decent open source tools coming out in, you know, there was Nornir, um, Batfish, a lot of good tools coming out in the automation space. So I thought, you know, let's right. get back into the automation. And then went and done consultancy for, um, for a year. That was all good. Learned a lot um, with some amazing folks at Networks Code. Super, super smart guys, r- really are. And... <clears throat> Yeah, from there, I thought, you know, hang on. I'm writing these massive guides. I enjoy training. Right. It, it, it kind of, it's a no-brainer. Let's just, um, let's see if I can spin up uh, a platform to help folks. And and also, at this time, it's really, I think it's really hard for fit people to learn network automation, right? Right, right. The, 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 poor, the poor folks out there, they've, they've learned networking, which is hard enough. Now it's like, hang on, we, you've got to learn, do a bit of automation to make it even quicker. Right. And then on top of that, well, <laughs> hang on, we might want to learn Kubernetes as well. And, yeah. and, and then there's more tools coming out. And I think, you know, I think it is challenging for people. You know, they've only got so many hours in the day to, to learn this stuff. Um, and, you know, businesses are demanding more and more and more and more and more skills. So, yeah, I just wanted to kind of come in and, and help folks with with that learning journey, really. Got it. Got it. So, so I, I think that kind of all ties in together, right? Because you were doing things that were uh, your company specific. So, you know, you were very focused on your internal tools. You're doing uh, bigger and bigger automation project. I'm sure, you know, by the time, by the time you're handling, you know, company-wide projects, no longer just SNMP, it's probably CICD, it's probably a lot of these other technologies. And then you went into consulting, which was a great way to also, you know, for people who, you know, kind of, I think part of the reason I started this podcast is I just kind of look at per- people's journey and it may not be 
you know, like an exact fit for you. But looking at their journey, you know, you could kind of uh, gauge, you know, kind of how their trajectory was and how their decision making process. So it kind of ties in that you went into consulting, which was helping people, which was engaging a lot of different customers and situations that you were able to see the common threads or problems. And as you mentioned, you know, network automation is kind of hard. And, um, you know, I was, I was really into the, uh, the open flow, you know, scene and, and also the players and, uh, as you mentioned, open daylight, but it was pretty fragmented and, you know, there was kind of friction between vendors and different projects even, uh, and just, you know, kind of competing interests. And so, and you ended up just saying, Hey, network automation is hard and let's, you know, by the time you start this, you were writing, you know, I don't know, part one of 10 on blogs, right? <laughs> so that became a white paper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, yeah. And yeah, here I am, here I am today with uh, cool, Packet cool. Coders. Yeah. Cool. So you started Packet Coder. So when, when, I mean, it's probably a, you know, evolution process, right? So when did you start Packet Coders and, what are some of the kind of stages that you went to before this became, you know, like a thing that you're trying to build, uh, you know, uh, bring bread in, I, I guess. Yeah. So, well, before, I mean, pack, there was originally uh, packet flow. Okay. And packet flow was <clears throat> a blog that I'd had out for a couple of years and it's more general kind of networking. Mm-hmm. And then at the time, I think it was around March, April uh, this year, I decided to kind of do a rebrand and, and that that was at the point that to to move it into and change it to to packet coders. Mm-hmm. So um so yeah, so there's you know, there's still a lot of old, you know, kind of general networking blogs and, and stuff on the on the platform if people wanna wanna see that. But um but yeah, so and really, you know, the the, the the key thing with packet coders is that for me I feel like there's there's a number of different ways to learn. There's you know getting hands on, so we kind of provide some labs for you because you don't want to waste you don't want the hassle of having to spin up GNS three or Eve, buying compute etc. Um, and then also you know we provide the, the all the code samples and and the repos because sometimes you know you might have read a course but you just need a quick reference or you don't actually want to type out all of that script. So provide those, those code repos. And then also on top of that, then a community. So if you, if you need help, if there's something, a script that you're struggling with or something's not working in one of the courses, um, or you've just got some general questions, then provide you with that community support as well as, you know, there's meetups, guest speaker sessions, 101 demo, um, 101, like sessions like for example last month we did um a 101 on prometheus and grafana for folks that mm-hmm. that had never never used it and that's really cool you know full hands-on and that was really really good and played around with that and it got folks to create their first promql queries and their first dashboards so so yeah so yeah there's lots lots, lots going on um nice so i think um so for people who are uh, on YouTube, you know, certainly you could see we're browsing around the website. Uh, of course, for people who are on a podcast, you know, the website, and we'll we'll link this in the show notes. But the what the pack uh, the website URL is packetcoders.io, and you mentioned there's three, I guess, main pillars for packet coder. So first of all, it is a um, it is a paid membership site for people to 
which makes sense because these are knowledge that's worth you know paying for and which will you know kind of dive into the problem set that they're trying to solve but there's three main pillars uh behind your philosophy for packet coders that i've heard and correct me if i'm wrong so first one is just code right like you want to show people the code uh you know not just talking about it but actually demonstrate show them how it works and then there's the labs where you know you as you mentioned you not everybody has gns3 not everybody wants to fire up their uh, what is this, CML nowadays, not viral, uh, every single time. So you provide a hands-on lab for for the community, uh, for people. And then there's the community support where you have, uh, I think right now it's just, it's a Slack channel. It's active community for people to ask questions, collaborate, and then also have guest speakers on a monthly basis. So um, did I miss something? I mean, do you want to elaborate into uh, any part of those? Yeah, so that's pretty much spot on. I mean, the thing of what I would say is that we've got um, with the hands-on labs. So one, you don't have to build the labs, but right. also the courses all reference the labs. So as you go right. through the courses, it's right. fully hands-on and you're not just working against static files or, or anything. You're actually working against real devices that you can yeah. play around with. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, with the, the community, there's also different tech demos and sessions so you know covering different things so it might be diving into might one month give you the latest demos of the latest suzy q or some of the latest features of batfish or a whole whole ton of different things really and there's quite a few hours now on the platform around all those different different sessions that you can kind of uh, look through when you when you sign up yeah, I, I think one thing I noticed on the site is uh, really you're covering some of the technologies that are not as uh, that are not as well covered by other platforms like Suzik, um, which is uh, dust, uh, Justin Pish and um, the name is uh, at finished up. Yeah, he's the main. He's yeah, yeah, he's the main. Yeah, how can I forget super, that? Super, clever. super clever. Yeah, for sure. For sure. He's yeah, the co-inventor yeah. of uh, VXLand, right? If I remember correctly. So, and also Batfish, right? Some, I mean, it's mm. relatively new uh, in, based out of Seattle, not far from where I live. And, you know, um, yeah. So, so a lot of technologies that you cover um, are, are uh, I don't want to call it niche, but just not as well known by people. So, so that's great yeah yeah no thanks yeah i mean there's a lot of you know there's stuff that we want to cover the python stuff and all of the you know the data formats but you know at the moment you can you know there's other places providing that so really want to kind of give people that opportunity to learn some of those new technologies sure sure so i think you got you, you know you talked about this a little bit but let's explore further on the problem set that you want to solve with packet coders Oh, so what kind of problem do you want to solve? Um, I mean, there's, as you mentioned, there are a lot of free resources out there for Python, for, you know, even for these uh, things like Suzy, they have documentation, right? So why do people want to uh, learn from you versus just going through open source docs? Yeah, so, I mean, really, I mean, coming through us, you can think of it as not having to read through all of the documentation (laughs) <laughs> and then actually and actually kind of putting it to some real use cases i mean don't get me wrong the it's unfair to say that the documentation hasn't got real use cases but 
obviously with the documentation, you have all of the options, you have everything you can do with it, but these courses, they take you down a path and um, they really are a, an aggregation of, you know, the documents that I've read, books that I've read and experience all put into one course. So really the main thing is, is that rather than kind of reading books and reading the, these open source docs, you can do this course and even though you might, you know, you might see a course and you might go, hang on, that that's only an hour long or however long. That <laughs> the fact that it's condensed to that point means that I'm, I'm kind of trying to save you time um, to get, you know, to cut the BS and to get right. to the stuff that you really, really, you really need. So, right. um, and obviously, yeah. as well as then you've got the support to, yeah, to help you through as you go sure. through the courses. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think it was. Uh... I mean, I could be wrong, but many people have said this, and but I remember vividly from Steve Jobs, whereas you know it it takes more effort to take things out than to put things in. So yeah, you know your your iPhones or your iPads, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, one thing I found is like I've written code before, where I've written code and it's like two hundred lines long, right? But then I've refactored it and reduced it down to the point that it's like. 40 lines and then someone right. will go hang on why have you just spent a day writing 40 lines of code <laughs> in theory i'm like well it's you know that's a good thing right you know but yeah. sometimes it's yeah um so yeah for you know, sure you, yeah you can get courses out there i've seen python courses which are like uber long uber long right but you know people's time is short and so that's the key thing that here i, re- I really want to kind of reduce the amount of time it takes for people to learn so they can just jump on um, and uh, and learn what they need. Yeah, I think that's, that's in general for all the content creators um, dilemma, right? Like, so, you know, for me, maybe maybe with books, with maybe with some courses and with you, it's the same thing with guides and books and so on. It's like, yeah, you know, you're, it's true. So, you know, however that book may cost, you know, you're paying you know, let's just say you charge a hundred dollars an hour. You're paying one dollar for that for that hour. You're paying ten dollars for that hour, but you're paying ninety dollars for the twenty years of experience that that, that came with that hour, right? So, mm. um, I, I don't know. That's something that I picked up as well. But it's hard to it's hard to quantify in some people's mind, and that's a difficult part. It's like you're you're trying to justify it in somebody else's mind, where you know whether you're successful or not. I don't know, but. Me personally, I certainly buy into that, uh, buy into those qualifications that you've said, right? Like you're actually spending your years of experience, you're cutting out all the unnecessary parts and you're putting into the right context for people um, as opposed to, you know, just Python. It's mm-hmm. Python and network automation. It's not just Batfish, but how, do you, how does Batfish in, fit into Ansible? How does fat bat? So it's very specific and pointed solutions that you offer to people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's like just been doing the uh, like a code quality course at the moment, and right. like been looking through all the different options for you know black, uh, the linting, ISO, etc. And there's right. a ton of options, but really day to day, you're only going to need a couple of them. Um, <laughs> and then so you read, you know, so that's cool. So you bring those to the surface, and then well, how you know how do you do the integrations? How do you integrate this into CI? How do you integrate this into VS Code, etc.? Um, so yeah, it's just kind of it's just that that little bit extra and kind of that kind of extra bit of uh yeah that, that extra extra bit of kind of difference between 
between the online docs. Yeah, that's a good point. So you you tell people these are your options, right? Like if you want to have lunch, here's your Italian, your Chinese, your Japanese sushi, and all of that. However, I think based on your, you know, based on our preference and what, based on my experience or you know, talking to other people like you, I think you might want to start with Chinese. Doesn't mean you end up with that food, but、mm. um, but that's you know, trust me on this one because if if it makes no difference to you, then based on those, and chances are you know greater than fifty percent or others that you would end up liking it or whatnot, and you'll feel free to try on different stuff afterwards. But to start with, leverage your experience, leverage. Uh, your conversation with audience、uh, to start with something that has a higher chance of success.、Uh, that seems to be like a good good way to to put what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, no. Nicely put. Always good if、Thanks. you、uh, put things into a food analogy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I try to、uh, I try to find commonality as well. So we all have to eat. So、uh, food is always a popular topic for me. So. Oh, in、yeah. in the Cho family ho- household, anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, so you know when you start, okay, so now you know we we covered what problems that you're trying to solve with packet coders, the te- the、uh, kind of your ideology behind it, and the methods that you're delivering those contents and knowledge. So, what are the some of the challenges that you're facing with、uh, building packet coders? Is it the technology? Is it、uh, You know the amount of time. Is it、uh, you know website building? Is it money? Like what? What are the, some of the biggest technology、uh, challenges that you face? Yeah, I would say that it all comes down to time because、mm-hmm. there's so much stuff you want to learn, right? right? There's so much stuff that you want to write about and、um, and deliver. So yeah, there's there is a lot of things going on within the industry, and there's a lot of changes and a lot of new projects. So it's, it's really just time. Uh, the amount of stuff we want to get out there, and the amount of do- hours in the day, don't、yeah. always seem to correlate. But、um, but yeah, so well, that's one of my. I, I guess that's one of my passion project、um, is always to learn how to learn. Like you said, right? Like we all have a limited amount of time in a day,、um, but there's so many th- things to learn. So one thing that we could increase that、uh, velocity. Is actually have a better handle on how we learn. So once we learn it, then we could pass on that knowledge. You could create your guides and blogs and courses. But how how do you learn? How how does、uh, like how how do does Rick Donato approach a new technology when he knows nothing about, but he needs to ramp up quickly to an expert level? Yeah. So the first thing is having like a a test platform. So,、mm-hmm. like, kind of get hands on. So, like, just、uh, a lab. So, you know, I've got got some labs, and the obviously the labs that we've got are packet coders, and、yeah. and really, yeah, just breaking it down into trying to find. There's a few different ways, really, but a lot of the time, I, I kind of try to just build something,、mm-hmm. and then through that process of just building it, you'll、yeah. have to use widget X of the tool and widget Y.、Um, And then once you've got like so, I've kind of done this a bit with the recent PyTest、um, course as well that right, we're writing. Right, is right. that kind of gone out and just built this this big testing thing with PyTest using Nornir and Napalm and stuff. Yeah, and then just kind of then go back and then gone right.、Oh, I've used this feature. I've used this feature, and then you can kind of slot them into the right areas. So it actually makes a bit more of a kind of a, a path. 
um, to kind of explain ex- explain uh, the tool mm-hmm. or the project. But yeah, it's all around just kind of, I would say just kind of getting hands on. So for me, I, you know, use, use Twitter, bookmarks. Um, I find personally tuning your Twitter stream and um, to different keywords and to different people is you can get so much information out of Twitter. There's so many smart folks out there sharing things and so many good um, articles and posts that, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a really good way of kind of getting information. So it's kind of like, you know, a bit from a book, you might get some videos, you might get some online docs. So it's just kind of aggregating everything together to Mm -hmm. kind of um, to learn the best you can really. I see. I see. So aggregation of information. So uh, you mentioned tech Twitter, um, as well as um, building a lab, right? So you're you're actually, you know, exercising your principle. You, you know, the lessons you've learned, you're exercising through muscle muscle memory. You know, building a lab and building and solving a, an actual problem that uh, solving actual problem that you have. So during solving that problem, you encounter other technologies as well to to leverage. Um, so those are actually kind of, you know, fits right into some of these, you know, other, uh, like I said, this is a passion project of mine, right? Like deliberate practice and uh, solving problem sets, uh, being relevant. And uh, these are kind of the learning technology. So those all make sense. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing those knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah. So you build these uh, lives. So I think, you know, maybe it's not a, a right the perfect medium to describe this, but let's just talk through a little bit about the lab portion, because I think people understand code, people understand community, but on packet coders, there's, you know, a lab that doesn't require you to fire up your own devices. Right. So can we walk through some of those lab experience, like for example, you know, PyTest that you just built. So what would be kind of the lab experience uh, when people buy your course uh, and go through those? Yeah. So, I mean, so if you've got a course, you, you can access the labs. So, you know, you can SSH to the devices, we give you the credentials and then at, so for, for example, for um, so some, some of the courses are slightly different in t- terms of how we do the labs. So if something for sure. like PyTest, mm-hmm. then there's different parts within the course that, you know, you, you pull the information back from actual devices into fixtures to be able to kind of do what you need to do. Um, mm-hmm. So those those credentials and those details are already pre-populated within the different infantry files. So you can you can literally just you know download you download the code um, from our repos and then update some EMV files and then you are good to go, which are all within the steps of the course. And different things require different labs, really. You know, something sure. like Batfish. Batfish is really good for labbing against because it's all mm-hmm. offline. So yeah. we can, you know, you can literally just give someone a whole bunch of configs, right? And they can just do it all local, right? Right. So, um, so, so, yeah, yeah. But if the, if it so as you mentioned, Batfish is all, uh, I guess, stateless, right? You don't need to create a device for state. You just kind of derive that state from your static configuration file, which is one of the selling points that you don't have to touch your production environment, where you could yeah. do your test validation uh, through static configs that you grabbed previously. Um, but if it were to, because that's one of the challenges, that's one of the main challenges for courses, right? Like, you know, you, you need to have uh, lab equipment. So um, are you saying that there's a bunch of lab equipment, like 
you know, was it virtual or was it something that's sitting out there that whatever platform you're trying to teach that just say Ansible that you need to create iOS devices, there's a bunch of virtual iOS devices or virtual EOS mm-hmm. devices out there for you to uh, query against. Is that is that true? Uh, yeah, so there's, so there, we've got a Spine and Leaf Lab, uh, sure. it's multi-vendor, got Nexus, got Cisco Juniper devices, Aristas, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you can you can query them. They restore the configs regularly restored, and so yeah, you can just you can just do what you need to them. So like for example, for the Scraply course, there's yep. a part in there where you start dealing with netconf. So you can query query out to the Arista devices, do netconf operations. So and you're welcome to like if you want to kind of change or just try something different and just play around while you're doing the course, um, yeah. then you can do because they're real devices, right? Yeah. So. Oh, so you you actually have not those are not virtual devices; those are actual real devices sitting in a data center somewhere uh, for you to query. Or uh, they're all they're all virtual, all virtual. Oh, they're all virtual. Got it. Okay, so you actually have a lab out there that's uh, you know. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is once you go through the course, um, will you be able to duplicate that lab? Like you know, if it's if it's uh, viral CML, do you get the config file for those labs? Or do you like what do you get afterwards if you want to uh, continue to practice those? Do do I have to, you know, continue to subscribe to Packet Coders, or is that something I could launch locally? Um, yeah, I mean, if you wanted to kind of, you can use your skills on your own lab. You, right. You can you can use the update the inventory and the parameters that we've got within the code to your sure. own devices. So sure. you know, it's very, if you've got if you've got a production or yeah, if you've got a production network and you want to kind of use some of the some of the scripts or some of the um, yeah some of the code out of out of the courses to do different things, then you can do. You know, you just need to change those parameters um, within those those in those inventory files or those um, those device attributes. Got so, it. Got it. Okay. Cool. So you know what you're saying is you. You transfer the knowledge, and um, with minimal amount of tweaks, you can actually apply those into your production or your own lab, because you just have to change, like I don't know, management IP and username, password. Then, voila, you know, you can actually use the same content in your production network. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's going to be the, the devil's in the detail, right? So, sure. obviously, right. <laughs> there's things you might want to change. You might your your company might not be happy with you using, you know, your general TACAX username password within sure. an EMV file, for example. But, um, but yeah, if you do want to do it on your own environment, be it your own lab environment or whatever, then you know you've got that uh, you've got that opportunity. But what I would say is, if you are doing any of these scripts. It's, it's always worth, and you probably have this within your uh, within your workplace. Um, you know, test it, do it against a test environment. You don't want to be going straight to production. Uh, yeah, for sure. With any, kind of, with any kind of script, so I just want to put that out there. So, um, oh, for sure, it's always it's always always good to always good to do. So, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, for sure. So, you know, Rick and I both we'll put the warning out there. You know, for the record. <laughs> Don't don't test in production, you know. Uh, Always, Facebook yeah. is Facebook, you know. Like break, yeah, th- yeah. move fast and f- and break things. That's Facebook, you know. For the rest of us, we want to test it out in in, in test environment and before we move into production as as carefully as possible. 
Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Cool. And as I mentioned, you know, what I'm impressed the most about packet coders, whether, you know, I, I also want to mention it is a paid site, but there's a lot of free stuff out there that are, uh, that are still useful and uh, could serve as a guide for you to kind of uh, see what the tone and the, uh, the nature and the style of teaching on these uh, on these resources. So there are free blog posts, these free blog uh, free guides out there uh, for you to for you to look at at packet coders. And one of the things that I noticed was um, the variety of technologies that that you've covered on the site. So I want to just kind of do a roundtable of technology, and y- you could kind of give us your thoughts because obviously you've you know created guides and created courses on those. So you probably know more about this than us. So I wanted to do a, do just kind of a, a roundtable technologies that you could tell us like a rapid fire kind of a question. So um, are you yeah. up for it? Yeah, that's cool. What in terms of what thoughts on tool, but also what the tool is or just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything, anything. So okay. I think obviously, you know, whatever comes to your mind um, and then maybe just like a brief description of your feeling about it. Um, mm if that works. So obviously yeah, we yeah. don't have, we don't have five hours, but, uh, but we do have 30 <laughs> minutes. So let's do that. Let's try to squeeze out of this in within 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Right. So let's start with Namiko, uh, Kirk's tool. So, you know, obviously most of us in network automation have used Namiko. It's a great abstraction. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about that? You know, Namiko? Uh, yeah, it's a really good tool. Um, obviously it's tied to single transport type, which is, um, Paramico. I think, yeah, NetMiko is great. Connecting to devices, running a command, getting the output back. Um, it supports the the different parsers, Genie, TextFSM, and TTP. It's yep. all good. I would say the thing with NetMiko that makes it quite nice is that it it does support a lot of different vendor types. Right, right. right. So they're in different ven- they're in different stages of support. But the last yeah. time I checked, there was like 105 different types. Oh, so, no kidding! Wow. You know, if you're like, well, I don't want to spend dev cycles, then yeah then that's that's one of the, I would say one of the the, the 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 good points about it yeah nice yeah good job kirk <laughs> yeah, so yeah. uh the second technology pi ats i mean there's a lot of buzz about it you know is it open source is it not open source is it uh you know uh is it cisco owned is it not like what what do you think about pi ats so the, tell us what it is first and then what's your thoughts on that yeah, so Pi ATS, it's a it's a it's a testing framework, sure. and that that testing framework consists of various different things. So it's like a framework for writing your tests, um, right. parsing tools, um, actual parsers. Um, so a whole everything you really need to be able to. It also comes with all the different drivers for connecting out to your devices. So right. everything you need to be able to write a test, parse some some config from a device, and to say whether it's running correctly or not so right. um so i mean yeah part of the pi ats core so it's it's a framework so there's different layers to it you have like a, yep. you know the genie layer for the parsers you've got the, the right. core bit right part of the core i don't think is open source but you know the the, the parsing and and uh yeah the main part parsers and everything are are open source so you can submit your own parsers if you like um pi ats is good and you can get a whole load of wins out of it. You know, there's right. there's there's things in PyATS quite nice as well. Like if you look at Blitz and um, mocking devices, there's you know you can get a lot from it because you, it generates the reports. Um, 
it, it does everything for you. So you can yeah. get some, you know, good quality wins, but the devil's in the detail, right? There's things that it doesn't support. So you can't right. always, can, you know, you can't connect to, say, Arista devices. Right. So, you know, if I was to say, what, what, what do you want to use PyATS for? If you yeah. want to get some quick wins, go for it. Use it. It's right. a great tool. Loads of people getting some, some great wins out of it. But yeah. for me, the, the one thing I like from um, the PyATS framework is a tool called DQ which allows mm-hmm. you to like easily parse like nested dictionaries. Yeah. So I, I would say you DQ and also you can use the parsers from uh, the PyATS framework in different tools like NetMiko and Scrapply. So for me, right. Yeah. It's um, if, if you're pure Cisco house, you'll, you'll get a lot of benefits because there's, there's a lot of things that are, you know, purely, purely Cisco, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's certainly one to, to try out, but there's there's other tools out there, you know, like yeah. Monir and Python and stuff, but um, you can get some quick right. wins. Yeah, so like I think that's um I think that's one of the the confusing part about PyATS is uh, as network engineers, we're not as familiar with some of the testing concepts out there like unit tests or uh, PyTest, not to be confused with PyATS, right? PyTest. Um, testing concepts and Pi ATS is fundamentally originated from a testing framework. So therefore, there's you know uh, test reports uh, by default. Like for test engineers, they need that test report at the end of the day to show parallelism. You know, you got to execute your same test on a bunch of hundreds of testing devices potentially. Uh, regressions on testing features uh, on the features that you've already passed the test, but you still need to run you know, against the, the testing units uh, as long as you support them. And also outputs, right? Like you got to save those outputs. So if the test fails, you come back and the test fails, you need to be able to go back and troubleshoot on which parts have failed so you could give back to the developer. So essentially, I think that's kind of when I first learned about PyTS, those were the things I have to, hurdles I had to get over in my mind to say, this is originally a testing framework and therefore a, B, C, and D. And that makes a lot more sense. But when you expand that framework out, like you said, the parsers, the DQs, those are applicable to a lot more um, a lot more fields and uh, applications and a lot more uh, applicable scenarios that you could use those for. So leverage those. But keep in mind, this originated in the Cisco house and therefore the multi-vendor support might not be as well as as wide as some of the other tools that we're going to talk about. Yeah. 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 So you mentioned Nornir, and I'm sorry I didn't include this in our original list, but you should, we, should, we should throw that in, definitely. Napalm and Nornir, both. Um, what, what are your thoughts and, uh, you know, on those tools? We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, I'm Esprit Devora. I created Women in Tech so listeners could walk away feeling, if she can do it, so can I. I do not have an inclination if I will succeed at this, but I have nothing that will hold me back. It's not anything new that women are here. It's new that we're hearing our stories. I'm afraid of doing, but I'm too curious not to do it. You have a lot more power than you probably think you do. You got this. Subscribe to Women in Tech wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, 
Uh, so Norna, huge fan, huge fan of that. Um, yeah, I mean, pure it's a pure kind of <clears throat> network automation framework, if you like. It's so slightly synonymous to Ansible, but purely, sure. purely, um, purely Python. And mm-hmm. it's it's built in a really nice way. You know, I I wouldn't say I've not done huge amounts with it but when i do mm-hmm. use it it's, mm-hmm. it's it's great it's got a whole ton of plugins yes and um yeah it's it's based on um multi-threaded uh, multi-threading okay and yeah i mean it supports you can plug into it you know your napalm your scrapply and the the different underlying tools um to yeah to kind of connect out and do things on the devices and it also provides some other things as well so there's a uh I don't know if they class it as a plugin or a feature, but there's something called the the, the Napalm. I think it's the Napalm compliance. It's like kind of Napalm validators. And that uh-huh. provides a really nice way to be able to do some testing against the output of the devices just using like kind of YAML-based kind of manifests, if you like, to sure. see what you're expecting. Um, yeah. So that's a really nice feature to it as well. Yeah, that that's nicely put. So uh, I, I would say I'll go kind of one step further and say it's kind of a a buffet of networking tools right so it's a collaboration between multiple open source uh creators and so it's all a lot of it plugin based so you have this nonier uh on top and underneath you could have uh different drivers so you could actually in order to talk to the device you could actually use namico or you could use scrapply or you could use napalm and so you have this uh, very generalized tool where it's expandable. So as you mentioned, then you could you know use, use other features. So um, yeah, 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 it's great. So yeah. what about Batfish? So Batfish, I, I have a feeling that most people, or not most people, sorry, uh, but uh, many people are not familiar with Batfish. So in a in a summary, can you tell us what it is and your feelings about it? Yeah, so Batfish is a tool that allows you. So it allows you to validate changes um, and to see the effect of those changes before you actually put them into the network. So yeah. the way it does this is it it's a network modeling tool. So yep. you know, give it a whole load of configs, it models your network, and then you can ask that modeled network a whole bunch of different things and say, oh, and then make the decision, is it okay to now put these changes into my network? But the key thing is with it, with Batfish is the fact that it's modeled is you can do some really, really interesting um, things to your modeled network and ask some really crazy questions, which you just can't do with just traditional methods like sending pings or doing an Nmap scan or anything like that. So give us an example of that. Like what are some of the interesting examples you could think of? Yeah. So one of some of the things you can do is you can say, I want to do an impact analysis. So you've got your modeled network Mm. and you can then pull out, a link or take down a node and then you can say well how does the flow what does the flow look like compare the flow before you've done that and then after is that are there any differences in the flow so you can do like offline impact analysis um Mm. to make sure that there's different things in your network that's not you know causing an issue you know Mm -hmm. it it completely rebuilds the, the thing to mention as well is it also completely rebuilds the control plane so it rebuilds all of the the ospf and bgp ribs so as you are taking down these links and removing these nodes, that's all re-computed um, within within that model. And then, Got it. So, you know, and, and another thing that you can do as well, which is I think amazing, is, you know, you can just say, 
tell me um without going too far without going too far into the weeds but you can basically say well tell me the effect on these flows but you can do it in a single question so it 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 does that analysis on all ports and all protocols so if you wanted to say well you know tell me in my network what's not permitted then it would then calculate all flows from all points on all protocols and all you know um all ip addresses all at the same time so you could then just you know pick out exactly what's happening whereas before you'd have to do like an nmap scan and um, iterate over different port ranges so yeah. um, hopefully that gives a nice summary without going too far into into the weeds yeah definitely i think i think that's a good summary um and they set out to solve a, a difficult problem right because they set out to solve the problem where you're doing everything offline and you have to understand every single platform that they support, how they treat flows, how they treat, um, you yeah. know, uh, ACOs and, and all of that. And then you model your whole network after it. So that is, um, so I think those are the, the, the big things is you're doing things offline and you're doing things, uh, you're modeling your network as if it was running in a stateful manner. So, um, yeah. so yeah, you know, I think Batfish is something, uh, we should talk about later on the show. So thanks for giving me the idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so, cool. I, what, what I would say, just just to quickly frame that for folks, if just sure. just a final thing is that because it's offline, it lends itself perfectly for CI. So you can put it into your CI pipelines, and then you can do all your pretests. So before you put it into, that's where it sits. Pretests within a CI pipeline before your changes go into the network, um, and because you can do those flow tests, and because you can also check the configuration, then you can do the unit tests and the integration tests within that that pre-stage of your CI pipeline. That's a great point. That's a great point. That, that that's exactly what they're marketing themselves after. It's the pre-validation testing, and of course they do a lot more. But you know the validation testing is one of the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. What about Scrapply? So we had Carl on the show before, but um, but I hear to like to hear your thoughts about Scrapply. Yeah. So Scrapply is cool. So like, where is so NetMiko like supports a lot of devices um, sure. and it supports, yes, a lot of devices that you can do the parsing and everything like that. And, but it's pinned to like kind of just using an underlying transport Paramiko. So yeah. with Scrapply, you can custom, it's really flexible. You can customize what the underlying um, transport um, mechanism is. Yeah. Um, so that helps if you want to kind of use things more like with SSH2 and you know, it's faster it also then gives you more benefits with using SSH config files. But sure. also then it, it comes with a number of different extensions. So the thing is with Scrapply, it comes with a um, a config, a CFG extension for pushing and, and validating diffs as you, you know, load in and, and commit in different configs, a, net, yeah. um, a netconf um, extension. Yeah. So... Yeah, it comes with these yeah these different extensions, which kind of makes it a bit more of a kind of Swiss Army knife. But sure. the the thing that it doesn't do is it 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 very it has very strong support for the main uh, the main vendor type. So any supports, I mm-hmm. think it's like five, like the the Arista, the uh, the Juniper, the the Nexus. So exactly the same types as what Napalm supports. Right. So that's where the two sit. Right. So if you if you've got like an ASA and you haven't got the dev cycles, you might want to have a look at um, NetMiko. But mm-hmm. if you're pure 
um, Arista House and you're going speed, 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 then look at look at Scrapply. So yeah, yeah, it's it's basically what Carl feels like supporting and what his day job requires him to write about. <laughs> and um, something I'll add also, just because you know, uh, just because I, I talked to Carl a couple of times in the last few weeks. So you know, so you know they take advantage of the async I/O. That's why it's fast in the Python three async I/O. So it's parallelism uh, in a single thread, mind you. So parallelism, and he it takes advantage of the Python newer features like typing. So uh, as, as what Rick was saying, you know, it's it's fast. It uh, supports not as many vendors, but the ones that they support is has a lot of performance gain uh, compared to NetMiko just because of the underlying transport. So yes. what, a, what about uh, Suzik? This is something that I'm very excited about. It's, uh, you know, so I'll have Dinesh on later in the, uh, in the, in the future. I'm um, looking forward to talk to him, but, uh, but we, should, we should hear your thoughts as well. I, I, I'm surprised at how much you cover Suzik. So uh, what are your thoughts and what is it? Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I'm really excited about SuzyQ. Um, it's it's a great tool and, and to be honest so what it what it does is an observability tool it okay basically pulls your network for for information so it pulls you the network for data stores it in a database um it normalizes it within that database and so you can query that data within the database using you know an api a cli um there's a gui as well python module but you can query it within uh, like a vendor agnostic way, if you like. And the data you get back is vendor agnostic. So off the cuff, if you want to have a look at, you know, how many routes, et cetera, um, all the addresses, then then you, c- you can do using a common set of questions. So there's there's a couple of things that make – so Suzy Q sits within the post um, the post validation step of, yeah. um, of things. So – the thing that makes Suzy Q really, really nice is, is really two things, right? One, you got a feature called um, some um, either summarize or summarization, can't recall, but what it does is it does the calculations on different values that it's got within the database. So you don't have to then go and say how many interfaces are down, how many prefixes I've got. You can literally just query the summarize of a different table. So all the all the data is kind of catalogued as different um, kind of service tables, if you like. So, you know, you've got one for routes, one for addresses, one for OSPF, one for BGP. Right. So that's a really cool thing, right? So that saves you dev cycles because you don't have to go in and you don't have to kind of iterate over things to get a value. That's cool. The other thing that, for me, I, I probably the, the killer feature is that you can do time-based analysis. Mm-hmm. So you can now say, what did my network look like? two minutes ago or five minutes ago. And with that, that's, that's really nice on its own. It's great in the CLI as well, because you, you might just, you might not always want to just, you know, automate um, your validation. You might just want to kind of give it to your ops teams to, to have a, a platform to be able to kind of validate and just check and troubleshoot things. So that's really nice. So you can just go in and say, well, what do the routes look like five minutes ago? But you can also say, well, what changes happened between these times? And you can see what what changed. So it's really nice for troubleshooting. Now, the key thing here is now as soon as you start to kind of combine these features, you can now say, well, what was the summarize of this table five minutes ago? 
And then so you can see all the prefix, the number of prefixes. Right. And so, yeah, it starts to kind of, you know, double up in terms of how great it is when, when you start using some of these features together. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of a high level, high level summary of it. It's a, it's a super cool tool and a super, super cool community as well. Um, like if you get chance and you want to get involved, then yeah, I definitely go out to the Slack community. There's a, there's a SUSE Q Slack community and there's some new office hours that have just been spun up. Um, so it's a great time to get involved. And so it's, it's a really, really good tool. Nice. Nice. And I, I just want to mention that the reason I brought these up is because Rick actually has uh, guides, blog, courses on all of these these technologies. So Scrapply, Suzy Q, PyATS, Batfish, and so on. And of course, general Python uh, courses. So check it out. And I'll also in- include, um, there's a, a very interesting blog post on Suzy, Suzy Q's Network Config Time Machine. And I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Uh, it's just a quick like I don't even know if it's like a two minute read, but it actually showcases uh, at a high level what it's about. And uh, yeah, if you just want to, you know, kind of, kind of see a good, a good, a, an example of that. Yeah. So thanks, Eric. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's 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 great. Um. So, I mean, we talked about all these technologies, and <laughs> and I I mean I'm trying to catch my breath for speaking so many technologies, but. So what are the challenges in network automation today? I mean, is it a lack of resources, too many resources, motivation, technical standardization? What are your thoughts on that? So what are the big challenges in network automation today? We'll be back after a quick break. Do you want to change the world? Former Tesla executive turned podcaster Billy Samoa is on a mission to help you do it. His show, Inside Out, reveals transformational insights that can literally change your life. If you're a changemaker who wants to make an impact while you're on this planet, then this is the podcast for you. Through deep dive interviews with the world's most remarkable people, your mind will be filled with new ideas and perspectives that will give you the secrets you need to make your mark. Go to insightoutshow.com or subscribe to Insight Out on your favorite podcast platform. Um, I think, I mean, one of the things is there's a lot of tools and there's a lot of things for people to uh, to learn. So, you know, I feel like, you know, people probably are stretched thin. Do they learn Kubernetes? Do they deep dive into, you know, Docker or YAML? Or, you know, there's so many things and there's a lot of things changing as well. Right. But for me, I honestly, the, the thing that I really feel like that is missing mm-hmm. is a good, strong, virtual um, kind of a network virtualization platform and Mm -hmm. by that i say i've seen that you know we've got the different container projects coming out um, sure to step back so at the moment we've got eve and we've got gns3 right right which is great but how how do you want like can we put them into a ci pipeline is there any good python um is there any good python libraries for them it's it's a little bit you know things are moving with the, the the container side of things in terms of this but for me i i feel like there's a missing missing gap and i, I really mm-hmm. unfortunately i say this and i haven't got the answers because i haven't got the time to build one but <laughs> that's for me that's the problem i i want to be able to say i want to be able to spin up a virtualized environment um 
So, and have have an open source project to allow me to do that. Um, there are mm-hmm. different ways of doing it, but um, that's that's the thing I think is really missing at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, do you think the new container lab by the folks at SR Linux would would help? Um, I think it, it certainly it certainly helps to a degree. Like if you can get your your NOS in a container based platform, sure. Then I th- I think that really really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's projects out there like VRNet Lab, which yep is good but personally i found that as i've tried to get different images and things into them yeah there's been you know because you're adding more layers and there's 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 wiring in there those wires needed to be rejigged which is is more time and you know so yeah so i mean vinet lab is is okay and container i think container lab is great i just i hope as well that there's more more of the the vendors bring out container based nozzes um for, for for testing because i think to be honest that's where things need to go and there's movements with certainly within the the ecosystem that shows that that is that is happening around the container yeah. side of things so some of the work that roman is doing um is certainly kind of complementing that that thought you know he's got you've got the container lab at the moment and there are other projects that are now kind of starting to leverage in and come in with, with Kubernetes. Now that is, that is hopefully the, where it's going, right? We can create a, a see it. We can create a lab within our CEO, spin it up and down using, you know, Kubernetes manifests. And then we can have, you know, the full, we can have the full suite of testing, you know, You've got the pre-tests, we've got the post-tests. We can also test it within a VM because you want to test things as much as possible, right, before yeah. something goes out to the network. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, so I think that's um, that's a very good point. And I think that's where things are converging and kind of it kind of bled over from the application development world where containers and all of that needs to be in the networking world as well. In fact, I think if you use the hosted version of Jenkins, which is you know CI/CD pipeline tool, that the testing has to be in Docker's, right? Like if you're doing a a uh, you know on-premise on-prem um, Jenkins, then it, obviously the test bed could be anything you choose. But if you do a, a hosted version of Jenkins, that they they require you to run them in Docker. So definitely right direction. But as you said, we need more more projects and just more smart folks diving into this area and make things, uh, I don't know, improve things. So, you know, how, so I want to kind of change our direction toward just from, you know, so we, we, we talked about how you got to network automation. We talked about the current offerings of, you know, uh, packet coders, your philosophies, your feelings about different technologies. So how, if we look forward, um, how do people get started in network automation? Yeah, I would say the main the main thing is kind of just getting a something to test against. So okay. create, get yourself a GNS3, get yourself um, an Eve, just an EVNG. Just get yourself something where you can just spin up some devices and that it doesn't matter if you, you kill them or you do whatever to them through learning that, you know, you're, you're okay. So I'd say, yeah, spin up, um, spin up a lab using that and then yeah just learn some basic um learn some basic python and then 
uh, yeah, start start running some scripts against it. Give yourself a project. So, you know, a really good one is like backing up. So take backups of all your devices within the lab. Um, yeah. And then, and then as you kind of step through and you give yourself more projects, you'll, uh, you'll get more questions that you need to answer. So you'll be like, okay, well, I want to now give yourself the project of seeing if there's any interface areas within the lab, um, which if you're using VMs, that happens a lot from my experience. <laughs> so, that, so that's another good one. And then you'll you'll get to the point and you're like, well, actually, it's a nightmare to go through this raw text. Do I need to, I've heard about parsers and then that'll bring you into the world of parsing. So, right. I, you know, go down that path. Now, that is kind of like the Python path. And sure. I would, you know, certainly kind of recommend doing that. If, you know, you wanted to kind of get some super quick wins um, and, and your boss is like, hey, <laughs> I want you to do some network automation, like get things done quick. Then right. for sure, like have a look at Ansible because you can get some quick wins with Ansible. Further on down the line, you, m- you might not like it because it might not be as flexible as you want it to be. Right. But it's certainly a good way to get, you know, some quick wins um, if you need it. But um, if you're learning, then I, I, would go, I would go down the, you know, learning the Python first because getting that, getting that core understanding and learning is, is really going to do you well. So, right. Right. Yeah. You know, those are, those are good, uh, good points about quick wins about different technologies to get into, but uh, definitely your point about build yourself a lab so you could break it and then do some, do some things that are wins, but doesn't uh, are low risk, like read, read only, uh, you know, interface errors, like you said, and, um, or, or we're talking about packet coders, right? Or we could just jump onto packet coders and shortcut, save yourself a bunch of time and uh, shortcut all of these these uh, uh, kind of busy work and just get right to the fun stuff. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> nice. But um, well, the, the other thing I would say is that you, you showed that blog post before. Like yep. there is a newsletter that we provide. And one of the things okay. I'm trying to do in the newsletter, like you were saying, it's a short post. The blog's are very short and they're designed that way so you don't just end up like thinking i'll read that later like you can literally get the the meat out of it straight away so that's the key thing so um because i'm i've my bookmarks in twitter are terrible like you know (laughs) i'll read that later read that later but right yeah so you can sign up on the site and every week send send out you know network automation nuggets that you can uh, hopefully find useful and then every month especially if you it's going to be going out in the next couple of days i aggregate yep. everything that's happened in the month and then there's a monthly newsletter around uh, all everything that's been happening in it, network automation so that's also cool. oh wow that's uh that's super nice yeah i'll, I'll definitely you know uh, you know point people to that but it's just basically if you go to packetcoders.io it's right on the front page and if you're on the on the youtube video then you'll see right away so you just sign up subscribe and rick will do all the heavy lifting for you on the <laughs> um uh what do we talk about take things out so you strip down into just the meat and potato so you could yeah, even yeah. if you're on your smartphone you could get something out of it you could read it right away and then every month you will aggregate and summarize what's happening in network automation world and deliver right to your inbox so that's that's nice i've signed up so i look forward to those newsletters and nuggets yeah yeah, no, that's cool. Yep. Nice. So, you know, um, you started as packet coder. 
uh, like you said, um, you start ramping it up, right? So it's it's something else before, and then you start ramping up, uh, maybe May, March this year. And what do you where do you see packet coders in five years, in two years, two to five years? Yeah. So I mean, I just continuing to help folks really. Um, yeah. And so we're the the platform at the moment is is going through more of a looking to teach people the testing side of things. Sure. So really kind of building out that journey um, for, okay. for folks. So, you know, two to five years, I certainly hope that we've got, yeah, what well, we will have more around kind of configuration management, um, mm. integrations, um, more kind of production-based best practice, best yep. practices. So, uh, yeah, it's just all about kind of building out that user journey, really. Um, so taking people from from zero all the way through to building out a full-fledged um, end-to-end network network automation platform. Nice, nice. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could we could probably both of us are very passionate about network automation. We could probably talk you know hours, but we're coming up on hour. We're a little bit over, but but I love our conversation. Uh, so, but before you know, before we say goodbye, uh, if people want to get involved, you already mentioned the membership and the newsletter. Um, so, so I guess I'll, I'll jump right to you know any call to action. Uh, any call to action for people who want to get involved? Yeah, I mean, just yeah, j- jump on, get the newsletter, and as the newsletters come out, if you've got any questions or anything that you know, you might even have a use case that you're looking to automate, and you want to kind of get some thoughts on it. Yeah, feel yep. free to you know reply via email. Um, I'll get that, and yeah, it'd be great to hear from folks about what people are looking to do in terms of network automation and the use cases and what they want to automate against. So um, yeah, just just reach out. You can also come onto the the Twitter Twitter handle we've got there, the Packet Coders, um, and uh, you know, kind of interact with us on Twitter if if that's a better platform for folks. So, so yeah, nice. Yeah, I appreciate you being on the show, Rick. I I, I feel like I've learned a lot of stuff today. Uh, you know, also it, w- it was interesting to hear about your journey and your thoughts on different technologies. I feel like this is a gem pack informational session. So, so I want to thank you for being on the show. Yeah, no, thanks. It's been great. And like you said, I mean, we could probably sit here and talk about automation for hours, <laughs> right? There's so much stuff to cover. So yeah. um, no, it's been a blast. I really appreciate you getting us on the show. Yeah, for sure. So thank you for listening to Network Automation Nerds podcast today. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other podcast platforms. Until next time. Bye-bye.